0: Welcome
1: to episode two of the Reboot Insiders Podcast. Today, we'll continue Jimmy's talk with Buddy Clark and Min Min Zhang of Diamond Kinetics. The bulk of today is about markerless motion capture, which we believe is the future of motion capture technology. Please enjoy Jimmy's talk with Buddy and Min Min. So now to the, I guess, the main event, which is markerless motion capture. And again, this is very literal. So this is capturing motion without markers but that's a little bit of a misnomer because it's really like without markers that you have to physically place on the body so with marker based motion capture all the cameras have to know is they have to know what does a marker look like they're typically like little gray dots or whatever so all the cameras have to know is what does one of those little markers look like? And then it tracks all of those little markers. Marker-less motion capture is instead of tracking like these little gray balls, we train computer algorithms to actually recognize the points on the body. So you train a computer to, to recognize what does an elbow look like? What does a shoulder look like? What does an eyeball look like? That's what you can see all of these things here. This is, you can see we, there are not markers on this tennis player here the computer was trained to recognize, oh, this is what a shoulder looks like. This is what an elbow looks like. You can do it with with your face. You can train a computer to recognize different landmarks on somebody's face. So yeah, so really a big leap in technology was being able to train computers to recognize landmarks on a body instead of having to physically place a marker on that landmark. And what that means is there is less of a, burden on the person doing the capture to place all of the markers, to make sure they're exactly on the shoulder. What we're doing here is we're letting the computer do all of that work for us, which is great, but then it means there's a lot of upfront work required training those algorithms. I don't know if, I know min has spent a lot of time on this. I don't know if you want to give a brief high level description of what it means to train a computer to recognize these things.
2: Yeah, basically it's just, it's like, we can, so that's my personal experience is I'm looking at this image of the human body, like the, the pose of the baseball motion. And uh, I flip through multiple, maybe hundreds of the frame, uh, images. I start to print in my mind, what the pose look like for a typical baseball pitch or baseball swing. So it's the same idea how we train a computer so, we feed in a bunch of data. Say this is the one image. We label the data. Here's the shoulder, here's the head, here's the elbow, wrist. There's a ton of the data we feed into the computer. Then the algorithms make some summarize, summarization. Summarize, okay, generally speaking, this looks like an elbow, this looks like a head or a shoulder. Then later we can use this piece of code to feed in a new image then it will generate an accurate recognition of each body key points.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, basically, you give a computer a ton of images, and then you give the computer all the answers. So you give a computer like a blank image, and you say, here were all the body parts. And basically, you're like teaching the computer to take the test. And the test is recognizing the body parts. And then you give it, the computer another test, but you don't give it the answers, and you see how well the computer does. Like, does it actually recognize the elbow? And I think with- Flash cards, to an extent, right? Yeah, right. Here's an yeah. elbow, here's an elbow, here's an elbow. Yeah. Thousands yeah. of times. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's why sometimes markerless systems get a bad rap because they are so dependent on how you train it, how well you train it. If you train it really poorly, the markerless system is gonna do really bad at recognizing things. If you train it really well, then it's going to be really good at recognizing things. And I think over the past few years, these markerless systems have made a huge leap, I think, for two reasons. I think two, there's a lot of reasons, but two primary reasons. I think are cameras have gotten a lot better. Like we can get better and better resolution. So we can more and more granularly see, oh, maybe we can actually see the creases in the elbow. And the creases in the elbow help the computer figure out that's an elbow. So com- or so cameras have gotten a lot and lot better a lot better. And also the algorithms that we can use, these machine learning, artificial intelligence algorithms, these algorithms have gotten better. The the ways that you implement them have gotten a lot better. So I think both of those things combined have gotten a lot better very fast as computers have gotten better and better. Our iPhones, like the video a few years ago used to be absolutely terrible. And now an iPhone video is like professional grade. So I think better algorithms and better cameras have made markerless motion capture really take off. We're seeing a lot of companies come on the scene trying to do this. And soon Diamond Kinetics will have an app that will be able to do this. So uh, I don't know if you want to
0: bridge the gap Jimmy between just the recognition of the joints mm-hmm. and what the marker based ends up with. Cause the marker based ends up with this skeleton that mm-hmm. moves around. And so there, there's still a, a gap to cross there in the explanation. Benjamin, you want to finish that out with the thought of, it knows where an elbow is and knows where the shoulder is, as an obvious leap there, but <laughs> it stitches that together, right?
2: You mean the constraint of the anatomy constraint?
0: Yeah, or ju- yeah, if there is such a constraint or it just, it, it does know to, it's looking eventually to put together the skeleton and the elbow and the head and everything else.
2: Yeah, this piece of information is actually passively passed into the algorithm during a training process because there will be never, it will be barely have some image your the head is way far away from your body or your elbow is in a impossible position, impossible angle. So in other words, if you have a poor quality of the image, a lot of noise or some or noise or other information getting to the training process, then the model gonna perform poorly.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and something I want to connect the dots back to the marker-based system when we talked about like more markers generally can lead to a more accurate represent, representation of the body. With a marker-based system, you have to physically put those markers all over the body. But with the markerless system, you just do more training. Like instead of feeding the computer only the center of the elbow every time and training it to recognize the center of the elbow. Now I give it three points. I say, Hey, this is the center of the elbow. This is one side of the elbow. This is the other side of the elbow. And now you train the computer to recognize all three. So now we can get more and more accuracy without actually having to physically put more and more things on the human. And I think something that I think was true maybe four to five years ago it was hard for these marker-less systems to get things like pronation, and supination, just because it was hard to figure out what does each side of the wrist look like or what does each side of the forearm look like. But just related to what we were just talking about, as camera resolution has gotten better and these algorithms have gotten better, now we can train the algorithms to better recognize each side of the wrist, and now systems like Kinetrax and Thea are actually getting three-dimensional rotations of these body parts, not just the centers of joints. So I think, like again, that's a theme of the past 20 years, just in, in general with technology, is computers get faster, cameras get better, algorithms get better, and therefore this markerless motion capture keeps getting better. And let's see, we got two questions here. So Art asked about markerless seed data I should start in a lab. And yeah, that's a really good point. Is I, I think we touched on this, but You want to start with the highest quality data as you train the model, because garbage in, garbage out. You give it really crappy data going in, you're going to get really crappy data going out. So if you train it with really good data, you know, that you got from a lab, then your algorithms are going to be better. Kobe asked, is there a brief explanation how you train a computer to recognize these landmarks? Do you want me to take that Miniman? You want to give it a shot?
2: Yeah, just as you mentioned, it's garbage in, garbage out. So we have a certain amount of uh, image and a we'll human label each key point, say show yeah,
1: It means like a literal person. There's a literal person who takes a picture and like circles the elbow. It's literally what happens.
2: Yeah, so then imagine there's millions of this image with label data. Then we get into the training algorithm to generate this model.
1: Very computer intensive. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very like human intensive and computer intensive. We we've hired like Amazon, what do they call them? Mechanical Turks or whatever, but yeah, you literally have to have humans give the computer the answer. And by giving the computer the answer, you're literally giving it an image with the elbow circled. So you give the computer the raw image, then you give the computer the image with the elbow circled. And then there's a little black box algorithm in between. And then that black box algorithm learns based on the characteristics of the picture, like the pixels, right? The literal color of the pixels, that this pattern of pixels represents an elbow. And that's because you told it that those pixels represented the elbow. So that's how the computer learns. And that's actually generally how machine learning works (laughs) is you give the computer the answer and then the computer learns how to get the answer. But that means that it's really sensitive to what you're telling the computer the answer is. If you're not giving the computer enough variability, it's only gonna be able to do well in one specific instance. Let's say for example, your entire set of data that you're training is just people wearing black shirts (laughs) or or white shirts or something like that. And you circle the elbow every time with somebody wearing a white shirt. Then if you try to put that algorithm out in the wild and the person is not wearing a white shirt, you're not gonna be able to find the elbow the computer has probably learned to associate the color white with an elbow. Okay. Yeah. I want to I'll just run down the rest of the outline really quick. So for these markerless systems, there are stadium based solutions, Kinetrax, Hawkeye, Simi, or common ones at the big league level. But what's awesome now are there are mobile solutions coming online. Uplift has a two iPhone solution where you can get three dimensional motion capture data from two iPhones. ProPlay AI, you can get uh, motion capture data from a single iPhone. Part of the app that we're going to be launching is motion capture information from a single iPhone. I think that's what is so exciting about this field is that if you have better and better algorithms, more and more training, you can start to really reduce the burden on the equi- on the the number of cameras, right? If you train, if you train an algorithm really well from a single camera then the computer can start to do well from a single camera. But so that's what's cool is I think we are shifting the burden from having to need a ton of cameras to actually having to do some really great training. And then we can put it out in the wild with less cameras. I'll quickly run down pros and cons. Pros of markerless athlete doesn't have to wear anything. Flexibility of camera setup. We're not subjective to marker placements on the body. The computer is like making that standard. We can track literally an infinite number of markers on the body. If we just label all of them, we don't have to worry about the athlete being overwhelmed with wearing stuff. Some cons, I think the primary one, I think is just the amount of variability that's related to the training. If you train something really poorly, you're going to get really bad results. So you have to be really careful when you're selecting one of these solutions that they're trained well and that they perform well, because your accuracy is really sensitive to the training. Anything more you want to add here? I think just... Question that popped
0: up about accuracy of one or two motion camera systems. I I think putting that in the context of an application is probably a good thing to cover before we're done.
1: Yeah, let's just jump right into that.
0: And and you, I like you express it really well, Jimmy. What are you looking for? If you're looking for writing an academic paper where you know particular motions or positions in space are the most important thing, uh, and it's (laughs) peer-reviewed data marker base system might be necessary, but if it's an on-the-field application and in the game situation or or training, markerless at this point is very good and and satisfies that need very well. So it's all about the training, if you you trained enough. I don't know, you want to rephrase that
1: in better terms? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah, Stephanos asked, what is the accuracy of the one or two camera motion capture apps you mentioned? I think they're both good. It's really about What are you trying to get out of the system? If you are literally trying to figure out what is the joint angle within one degree of accuracy at foot plant, then you probably don't want a markerless system because you do want sub millimeter accuracy. But if all you care about is, I want to like something that we do at Reboot Motion, is we, I want to figure out is the path of the arm efficient, the, the path of the lead arm efficient relative to the path of the pitching arm. And that we don't need submillimeter accuracy. If we just get a very good idea of the plane of motion of each one of these body parts, that's what we need. So I think accuracy is subjective based on what you're trying to get out of it. And that's something that we really focus on. I know you guys focus on is yep is pairing the metric with the accuracy, the right? Yeah. With the a- application, right? Like I'm not going to try to provide metrics if i don't think the, sy- the system can accurately capture that metric and i think that's really a really important part of this yeah okay so rick strickland asked what scenario would need a sensor to measure body parts yeah so i don't know if you guys want to talk about like when when a sensor might be more advantageous than using like markerless or a marker-based system or something yeah i mean i
0: Maybe a simple way to think about it is to go back to the what they do best. If it's velocity, acceleration, you want to extrapolate that to force, then the wearable sensor on the body at least is really good for that. And if it's positions and planes and what Reboot is really starting to focus on is the efficiency of the motions and the sequences of those motions, markerless is, it works really well for that. And it's not the velocities that you're focused on. It's the orientations and positions and the sequence of events. And in a nutshell, that's maybe the way I would think about it.
1: Yeah, I think sensors are really good in situations. For example, a sensor on the barrel of the bat. The bat is one more or less solid object, (laughs) but it's one solid object. And you really care about the speed of that object. And we could train algorithms of, you know, visualizing the bat in a bunch of different orientations and a bunch of different environments, or we could just stick a sensor on the handle and boom, we got it. And generally with a bat, you're going cage to cage, you're doing drills, you're moving around a lot. So, you know, a sensor on a bat, I think is a really good application of using a sensor instead of a markerless motion capture system. But then on the flip side, like a pitching motion, you could put a sensor on every single body part, but that obstructs the pitcher. That's hard to set up. The pitcher gets annoyed by wearing the sensors. So in that case, I think it's much better to have a system that the pitcher doesn't have to feel. There, there's something, there's some, there's some philosophical things. If you have to interfere with the system you're trying to measure, there's a lot of danger. You're going to mess with the system that you're trying to measure. Just to touch
0: on, add to your thoughts, Jimmy, this, the concept of really when you're looking at the body motion, that you, will, you do want to see many different parts at once, right? Yeah. So it's just such an easier thing to do with Markillus than it is with lots of sensors.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Also for specific application like in, at Diamond Kinetics, we put a sensor in the ball and compared to other technology, that's still the easiest way or best way to capture the ball Metrics, spin, velocity, and spin direction compared to the camera technologies.
0: Yeah. So Rick or someone asked a question earlier about when would you want to put the two together? It's those types of scenarios, I think, where they really shine and multiply the effect. So if you've got markerless information on the body, Mm. sensor-based information on the tool, the ball or the bat, that's a nice combination.
1: Yeah, definitely, for sure. A friend, Dr. Mike Son from ProPlay AI, asks, what is the biggest challenge in explaining motion capture data to elite athletes who've gotten so used to their movement patterns and are looking to change? The biggest challenge, holy crap, Mike, that is a large question. <laughs> <laughs> what is the biggest challenge? There are, are a lot of big challenges. And so in his, in his question, he asked about explaining motion capture data to elite athletes and I think my answer is going to be, and I, I don't know if Buddy and Min-man will have a different answer. My answer is going to be a little bit of a cop-out because what we try to do is here, we by we Reboot Motion is, I recognize that the communication part of communicating something to the athlete is very challenging. And coaches, this is what they do. They coach, they adjust, they know, they, they use their judgment when to intervene, when not to intervene. So that is, I think, why especially with elite athletes, we tend to actually focus on providing the tool to the coach to empower the coach to then help the athlete. And it's, so it's a little bit of a cheat where <laughs> we let the coach spend or do more of the communicating than we do. I, but, but I know you guys sell products directly to athletes themselves. So I don't know if Buddy or Min, Min wanted to add something there.
2: Yeah, I see it's uh, both a challenge and opportunity. It's an uh, ongoing collective effort for, from equipment provider, researchers, and a coach and a player, we are all getting used to this new available data. I know it's still new to majority of the society. So it's an ongoing effort. We keep showing a different benefits like we generate at Diamond Connects. We build these metrics. A lot of them are very new to the coach and the player. And we put a lot of effort to explain how to use it, what it is, but it has a series of video explaining what each metric is. So I think it's still an ongoing effort.
1: Yeah. And something else I wanted to add here, and it's been interesting. So we've, we've actually started talking to some actual directly to some big league athletes and the way that we've been approaching it is like very gradual rather than going straight to here's what you're doing wrong or here's where you're inefficient and here's what we would suggest you change. We generally try to start with much more of a foundational understanding of what we're measuring. Like a really good example is I think like we had in a big league pitcher ask us about like his fastball and like how to make his fastball better. And we're like, and then the, but the first step is you actually understand like what your fastball is doing now. Like how does your fastball getting people out? It has a lot of rise. Well, what does a lot of rise mean? Oh, it means that it, it's got lift, it's fighting gravity. And so generally we try to do it like very gradually and start with giving the athlete an understanding, like a foundational understanding. And then I think having a foundational understanding then helps an athlete better implement the change rather than just saying, Hey, do this and you'll be better. I don't believe you. There is a certain amount of that con- convincing players that they are doing something
0: that they th- think they're not, or they're mm-hmm. doing you know something different, yeah. but it's all about communication. That to me, that's the biggest barrier by far is we speak in one language mm-hmm. and players and coaches speak in another, and we need to get on the same page to communicate whether it's educational like Min said, or just, me understanding what they're trying to say, them understanding what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That's that's what it comes down to.
1: Yeah, I actually view a lot of my job as like a physics translator. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Is I'm looking at emotion, I'm listening to what the coach is saying, and I try to think, okay, here's the math. So like what, how do I translate the math and the physics into the words that the coaches and the players are using? So that way the information, it can all come together. Yep. I I think that it hits the nail on the head. That's it. Tim Campos, our good friend, Tim asked two questions, or I guess it's one really one question. He said, if you would use a combo of IMU and sensors, what body parts would you feel an IMU is most accurate at measuring? I think it's, it's less about which body parts and more about, again, it's like, what are you trying to measure? If you're very, interested in the speed of a body part, then maybe you do want to, and only one body part. It's a very simple thing. I'm trying to think of a good example, because the tricky part with this is typical, like commercially available sensors aren't actually fast enough to get the velocity, the rotational velocity of the upper arm, but generally speaking, yeah. Okay. So I think a good example might be like kinematic sequence, right? There are a lot of tools out there that measure the kinematic sequence. And what is the kinematic sequence? It's just a sequence of velocity peaks. So we're literally trying to find when does the pelvis peak in velocity? When does the torso peak in velocity? And when does the arm peak in velocity? And since we're only really interested in those three things for the kinematic sequence, and we're specifically talking about velocity, I think it's much simpler. Like we put a sensor here, we put a sensor here, and put a sensor here. And those sensors are really good at measuring velocity. setup is pretty simple. So I think, yeah, it's more about the application than which body part specifically.
0: I would agree with that. It's interesting you use that example of sequence. Men did that in his PhD dissertation back however many years ago. He put IMUs on a pitcher's arm and and showed the kinematic sequence using them and and could do it very accurately. We compared to marker-based motion capture. And the struggle was Marker-based motion capture wasn't as good at velocities, even then, as the IMUs yeah. are good, the yeah. stuff is it's good.
2: Yeah, back to that, Yeah, back to that time, the marker-based camera is running at 240 frames per second compared to 1000 hertz sensor, it's definitely slower.
0: Yeah, you can resolve time points so good, uh, so
1: well with the uh, sensor-based yeah.
0: uh, systems.
1: Yeah. So, Tim, I guess speaking of that, so Tim asked if there was a hole in the accuracy or reliability of markerless, is there a way to combine the two to make it more complete? Generally speaking, I would say yes,
0: you can. We would call that sensor fusion. And there are ways to fill the voids and, and to do exactly what we've been talking about take the good position information of the marker or markerless in this case, case and supplement the IMU and give it what it doesn't know and vice versa, and the accommodation can be better. But you have to think about the application and if the gain that you get from that is worth the cost of doing it. And we could probably think of a few instances when it is, especially at the high levels of the game.
1: Yeah, the one thing that I'll say though is, I think as, again, as cameras get better and better and our algorithms our training algorithms get better and better. I really feel like there's gonna be less and less cases where you would really need a sensor, right? Yeah, that's true. It used to be that cameras were 30 frames a second, 60 frames a second, hundred frames per second. Now iPhones just come standard with 240 frames per second. Who knows what the next set of iPhones is gonna be. You can buy edutronic cameras that are at a thousand frames per second. And when you're getting information, that granularly a thousand times a second i think it's less and less likely where you would really need a sensor i mean but i think there's again like we're talking about with with the bat scenario like i think a sensor situation a sensor you just stick on and you're you're good to go and i think sometimes to me it's like more about like the convenience and what are you the application versus versus the accuracy yeah we're getting to be Oh. an anonymous attendee asks, I wonder if this is a plant. <laughs> <laughs> how long until marker based systems become obsolete? Because <laughs> this is something that I say every now and again. I, I, I don't want to say specifically how long. I think marker based systems are super ingrained in biomechanics literature. So I think yeah. it, it'll probably it'll probably be a decent amount of time. For these systems to actually be obsolete, but there are already markerless systems that are more accurate than marker-based systems. There's research. And if anybody is interested in learning what I'm talking about more specifically, send an email, send a DM on Twitter or whatever, and I can talk more specifically, but there are already markerless systems that are better than like provably better. There's research done on repeatability, reliability. So if you think about it, this is something, this is a, a some sometimes how I understand it in my brain. It's really important to know like where the center of a joint is. Is it, yeah, like where is the center of the joint? Cause that, that really determines like how that joint is gonna move. And with a physical marker, you, there's no way you can cut somebody open. I guess you can use an X-ray system. But generally speaking with a marker based system, there's literally no way to track the literal center of the elbow. But if you have a markerless system, you have a bunch of camera views. You can say the center of the elbow is here on one camera view, it's inside the elbow on another camera view. And so these markerless systems can actually do a better job sometimes of estimating joint centers as opposed to these marker based systems. Yeah, I think marker based systems are gonna be obsolete Faster than people realize. There's no more open questions. So I think we can start to wrap up. Thanks for sticking around over the hour, buddy and Min Min. It was fun. I Really, again, uh, appreciate that you asked us to do it. Hopefully
0: people got something out of it. I I really enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun.
1: Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I think this is foundational to a lot of this stuff.
0: Yeah. It's interesting for me to see the questions too. I'm always intrigued by what do people want to know? Because that influences what we do. So that's helpful.
1: Yeah. Any closing thoughts, min
2: Yeah, I think that's, I want to mention one thing is we are targeting very specific area is a mobile phone camera-based markerless motion tracking or motion capture system. And there is multiple driving forces to make it better and better. One is our effort in the training the model, building Jimmy's expert knowledge into the algorithm. <laughs> Basically, you are carrying Jimmy everywhere with you, to do analysis.
1: you want Jimmy in your pocket. I don't know. <laughs> and
2: Another very significant driving force is the, the camera hardware is getting better and better. So every time you upgrade your phone, Apple provided this uh, upgrading for us, actually. So let us focus on the software side. So it's uh, the two driving forces at the same time, hardware and software. Good
1: point. Yeah. So again, I think so much of this stuff depends on your application. I think, and I think very specifically, if you are a coach who doesn't have two hours to set up a marker-based system, I think markerless, you find a really good system and go with the markerless because they're getting good enough now where they can give you what you need. I think a marker-based system at this point is really only appropriate for a research lab For people at PhDs or whatever, and they're trying to get sub-millimeter joint angle accuracy. But I think, yeah, I I think the markerless systems are the way to go going forward. Uh, Cool, I think that about covers it, guys. Uh, No more questions from the attendees. Thank you, everybody. I think that this was a very foundational thing for us to go over, because you can't understand an analysis of motion without understanding how do we get the data about the motion itself. So I think that this was very foundational. Thank you for listening to episode two of the Reboot Insiders podcast. Be on the lookout for future episodes. And as always, feel free to reach out at insiders at rebootmotion.com or on Twitter at rebootmotion.